This recording is copyrighted and is licensed and released under the Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 Unported License. This recording is freely released for any personal use, including duplication and sharing in its entirety, and provided that it is not used for commercial sale or used in any context other than the educational context within which it was created, and that credit of its authorship is attributed to the copyright owners with links back to the website www.embraining.com. Please note that this recording is intended for educational purposes only and is not rendering any medical, psychological, financial, legal or other professional advice. Any personal actions taken based on this recording is at the sole discretion and responsibility of the listener. Hi, I'm Grant Suzalu. Did you know the latest research findings in neuroscience have shown that we all have three complex and functional brains, one in our head, one in our heart and one in our gut? Our book, Embraining, describes the scientific evidence for this as well as a suite of powerful yet practical methods for harnessing the capacities of your three brains to achieve greater wisdom in your daily decisions and in your actions. With MBIT, you can live more fully, more powerfully, and much more joyfully than ever before. So I'm talking today with Michael Anderson, who's written uh, an amazing book called Soul-Centered Leadership. And uh, Michael, as I always start with these interviews, could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your book, please? Yeah, thanks, Grant. Appreciate it. Um, you know, I, I guess I wrote this book, uh, and, and I guess my personal journey is because I, I wa- wasn't a soul-centered leader. Um, I got into leadership, and uh, I started a couple of my own software businesses in, in Southern California, and I found myself becoming materially successful. And it's, it's interesting because I was having a lot of these goals, these ego-based goals to, to make this amount of money, have this type of business, to marry this, quote-unquote, the right woman. And I would achieve them, and it's like I didn't have any joy and fulfillment. In fact, it's like I was, I was achieving goals, but I was moving further away from my, my fulfillment. Um, and it... And I had a, a low point uh, that had to do with a, a, a business partner assaulting me, uh, divorce, alcohol, and hard drugs, which, which uh, you know, was obviously, it's, I call it the four horsemen of the apocalypse, all visited me at one time. Um, and then I ended up saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to do whatever it takes to really get on the right path. And I, I earned a very unique master's degree in spiritual psychology. Uh, at the University of Santa Monica, and it was so life life changing for me personally and professionally. That basically, long story short, is I sold all my companies, and I am now a, a leadership speaker, teacher, and an author. Fantastic! What a journey. Well, I, I, I joke. I, t- I tell people I want to help them get to the same place I got to without having to go through drugs, alcohol, divorce, and business lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> without without uh, calling on the, the horsemen of the apocalypse to to help you ride to uh, a place that's a much more joyful place in life. That's that's quite a fascinating. As I hear you share that journey with us, one of the things that comes to my mind is is from an embit perspective, from the multiple braining perspective, is it sounds very much like initially you're coming from a very head and gut oriented place in terms of, sort of uh, your preferences for which of the neural intelligences you're playing out. So it, it sounds like you were very head smart, but you're also from a, a gut, take gut, gutsy action perspective, you were truly able to take gutsy action on it, but you were saying that you had no real joy in your, from all of those things. You're achieving goals, you know, head comes up logic on the goals, here's my goals, take action, achieve them, but then you're left to the place of kind of feeling like you are unfulfilled, and then that leads to all sorts of 
you know, things that ultimately end up as horsemen of the apocalypse. Do, do you think that echoes at all? Do you think that it, what happened from your learnings from that, that you, because I noticed that your website's all a, you call it executive joy, and, and joy is a heart-based competency. So it almost seems like part of your journey was to reclaim your own heart and, and a focus on, on that joy in the heart and the human spirit as part of, of overall fulfillment. Is, is that echo at all? You're absolutely right, you know, because growing up I was, I, I found success and acceptance through being very analytical and being very driven and in certain cases, um, you know, beating other people in competitions. You know, I'm really, really tall. I'm 6'8 or 2 meters 3. I played some semi-pro basketball and, and then I went into the business world and I was really shy growing up. I, mean, I was tall and thin and awkward and so I found that you know, self-analyzing myself as I went through life, when I started really achieving is when I felt accepted. And so I really got in this addiction of achievement, uh, you know, which in a way served me well because it, it, it helped me grow in certain ways, but I was way too over, you know, I think what MBIT, you know, what I get from, from your disciplines is it's a good balance of head, heart, and gut, and I was way, way out of balance, and, you know, I was so ego-driven, and I was so achievement-driven, and I think it's just a, an unhealthy balance. Um, you know, I, I think that there's also some people that are, you know, I, I talk to some people that they want to start a business, but they may might even be, I don't know if this, I'm using the right word, but too heart-focused, and they don't have any of that courage, and they don't have any of that drive and so to me it's almost like a, a balance of masculine and feminine we want a lot of both and if we miss if we're too masculine and zero feminine or we're too feminine and zero masculine we, we really don't move move forward that much in the world yeah spot on absolutely in fact that's within mbit uh, the field of mbit multiple brain integration techniques we talk about these as neural integrative constraints or nic's nics for short uh, the one of the the neural integrated constraints. You've got three brains. You could use two of them and ignore a third one, and so you could be, you know, head gut, which is what the lot of the Western world is, and we see that playing out because we we see a lot of uh, the analytical logic. We have to be able to explain things logically. You know, our, our school systems based on elevating the head brain and the head brain's competencies, which are all about logic and thinking and making meaning and cognitive perception. Um, but we denigrate uh, often the emotional intelligence, the heart space, the relational effect, the connection, the, the emotions, the, the values that come and play out in, in the human system at the heart level, or the leverage point is in, in the heart. So we see a lot of head gut, a lot of that is take gutsy action, but not everyone is head gut. And there are some people, for whatever reason, genetics or life learnings, they could be heart gut, they could be gut head, they could be gut heart. You know, you've got three brains, you can use them in different sequences. It's exactly as you say when, at least that's what our research shows, that when they're out of balance, when they're used not in the right sequence and not to the right amounts, then you end up with these imbalances in life. It's like a wheel that was completely out of balance and it'll, it shakes the, the car to, to pieces. It shakes your life to pieces when, when your wheel is not beautifully in balance. But when you get head, heart and gut beautifully aligned, then your innate intuitive wisdom comes alive and you start to flourish. That's what we've seen. Uh, that's what the research shows, and that's what plays out in the, the, the case studies that we have of you know, now coaches across 28 countries 
coaching uh, you know thousands of people with this model and finding that we get profound shifts in in what people can do when they can bring a balance to their life and I think that's what you're showing you're saying with your work that once you've got that balance now your life is flat, you know you equally as successful in fact I think on your website I saw you say you, what you're suggesting is you can be even more successful when you come from this place because obviously when you're missing one of these these pieces these core human competencies the heart the head the gut that you actually interfere with your own success you know, you're absolutely right, and, and a lot of people, I do a lot of keynote speaking, a lot of people will hear me speak and they'll say, you know, Michael, I hear what you're saying about self-compassion and, and doing things from you know, the heart and or the soul, um, but they said, but I have, I have a concern, I have a fear, because, you know, I'm so driven and I've achieved a lot, but what if I start being more compassionate with myself? Am I going to lose my fire? Am I going to lose my drive? And I get that because sometimes I think that too. How can I achieve so much? You know, how can I really be successful um, if I let go of what? Because I was driven by negativity. I wanted to, to be number one at the expense of screwing my competitors. You know, I wanted to. I saw life as a win-lose type of type of uh, game. But you know, that first thing is that's a tough life to live. I mean, if you live. I, I, when I lived, I'll talk about my own experience, when I lived in that world, it's just a really, really difficult life. Um, and, and Grant, I also like that you said the sequencing of things because, you know, I, I just found so many of my overall life goals were so ego-based. Um, and what I really realize now, and this is actually, I taught a class last night on Soul Center Leadership, to me we want our, our direction in life to be heartfelt, heart-centered. Hmm. Um, you know, to really listen to our intuition, what feels right, what, what you know, if, if you believe in a higher power, what that higher power is telling you, but then to put in ego-based goals um, to, to achieve that, because, for example, my book, Soul Center Leadership, I knew it was the right time, but I would resist reading it, so I had to put on all these <laughs> ego-based rules, excuse me, to get there, like write two hours a day, don't, you know, make sure you don't schedule appointments in the morning when I like to write, so... Um, you know, when you said, see, it's funny, Grant, I almost want to interview you talking about these things. I want to see how all they, 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 they link up. But, uh, well, it's a, we're co-interviewing, shall we say, because uh, absolutely, Michael, the, the re our research, and there's, you know, for, for many, many reasons, not just neuroscientific, but all sorts of reasons, we say the, the heart leads. And uh, mm -hmm. so in order to bring the other brains into the, the alignment and to bring them into the wisest form of their expression, what we call their highest expressions. For the heart, the, the highest expression, the most adaptive competency of the heart is compassion. For the head brain, it's obviously creativity. You know, when the head brain is doing what it does well, it creates and it innovates and comes up with new ideas and new things, that, you know, new ways of thinking. For the gut brain, it's that gutsy courage, the ability to push through fear and lethargy and take action. Well, in order for the, each of these, for them to be what we call the highest expressions of, of the human spirit, they need the others, they're deeply integrative. You actually need to have a balance of all three because compassion without creativity is what the Buddhists call dumb compassion. You actually can make things worse, there can be codependencies. You need a creative solution for how to be compassionate. And compassion without courage is just a bunch of feelings. It actually requires you to take action. It's interesting because when you look at the science of compassion out of, you know, um, the Stanford, the CCARE, the Centre for Compassionate Research, uh, the, and they've looked across you know, from 
compassion from a secular perspective and across many different spiritual traditions. And they have a three-component model of compassion, and those three components play out as head, heart, and gut. So, you know, I think it's it's very important you got to start with the heart. The compassion has to directionalize the creativity. It's exactly what you just said. And then the creativity directionalizes the, the courage. Because if you take courageous action, but it's not compassionate, well, Hitler took courage, and the German people took courageous action, but it wasn't compassionate. It wasn't deeply compassionate for all, for all beings, right, for all people. Uh, it was only in-group, caring about self. It was very you know, sort of narcissistic for the Aryan race. Um, and th that was deeply unwise and led to some terrible things uh, across the planet, holocausts, etc. So I think the, uh, the, the, the message from the neuroscience is exactly what you've found out, you know, you've found played out pragmatically in your own life and, and then you know you've been sharing this model which is you've got to start with compassion because otherwise the head brain can come up with all sorts of stories but those stories need to be a, you know based on something that's about kindness and connection and caring for self and others yeah and you know as a leader <clears throat> the most compassionate thing sometimes you can do is for example fire somebody <laughs> because yeah, yeah, yeah. the um, the dumb you know, compassion place dumb compassion be to keep everybody on board in the company um, even if it's going down, you know, uh, the tubes, and in the end, everyone loses their job. And, and you know, there are times when it's the right thing for the for the company or for an individual to to help them move on to another job. If this one isn't serving, yeah, them. that they enjoy, that they enjoy, or maybe it's maybe it's the wake up call that they need. Um, but like you know, the Buddhists say, you got to be unattached to that. You can just do it, do what you can do right. Um, but you know, as you were explaining, the heart. Uh, head and gut, it's interesting because if we start with the heart, and I just linked this to some, it's, it's, this, is, this is fun for me, Grant, so I really appreciate this conversation. Um, you know, the, and we link this to, in a way, general spiritual beliefs, so I'm not religious or don't, don't want to study much religion, but um, like, for example, you say the, the what, did, what did you link uh, the heart and creativity? That's the, the natural okay. essence? The, the heart is compassion, the head is creativity. So the natural essence of the heart is connection um, with others and, yeah. and that, that feeling. The head is to come up with a you know, hundred billion neurons. It comes up with ideas all the time, but it needs to be directionalized. Yes. Well, and, and a lot of people say that the um, that we're if we believe in a higher power, we're that the higher power is the creator, and that the and that we're made in the image of, of a higher power. That means our essence is to create. Uh, and and yes. to evolve through creation. So mm -hmm. you know, to me that that makes there's 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 alignment there. Um, and a lot of a lot of spiritual teachers say that one of the greatest sins we can have, because you talk about courage, is lethargy to not do anything. Um, yes. They say even ego-based action is better than no action. And I think the the Catholics uh, even call it a deadly sin, which is sloth, which is mm. doing nothing, being lazy. Yes, exactly. um, it's just cool to see how these these are play. I mean, I think what's interesting to me about what you you're doing is you're putting some some analysis and studies and structure around what people have been saying for the last two thousand, five thousand, ten thousand years. Yes, well, that's in fact exactly what we found. We said, you know, modern neuroscience is now validating ancient wisdom, and so the beauty of that is it gives you laser-like precision in being able to come up with pragmatic techniques and you know methodologies that you can use in leadership, that you can use in coaching, you can use in changing your own life. Otherwise, you know, the challenge with a lot of these wisdom traditions is that they've got, because they're all situated, you know, 
socio-politically, historically, at a time when, of course, there was no science. And so what you, you have is different wisdom traditions have a certain essence of truth. That's why most spiritual traditions, wisdom traditions, have a core that seems to, you know, so you could look at almost any of them. They have the same basic truths and core that, that God is, you know, um, in, is a creator. It's inherently creative. Um, but God creates for love. That's the love that God has for all you know, beings, derives the, the creation, etc. Uh, and it doesn't matter whether it's Buddhist or uh, Hindu or uh, Islamic, etc., Christian. All the traditions have these, these basic cores. But they come with a whole heap of socio-political stuff you know, that has been accumulated <laughs> over time. And some of it will just be placebo effect. Some of it will be absolutely wrong and there will be a heart of truth. So the neuroscience allows us to sort of like winnow out the truth based on uh, an understanding what the, the you know the evolved neural patterning systems of the of the whole of the human is and how we connect together and train each other. And from this place, we can now start you know walking into any leader, leader no matter how left brain hard headed they are, and they want the logic and they want the bottom line on it. We can show them the neuroscience of why we need to start at the heart of why compassion, there's a fascinating study done from the Australian School of Business by uh, Lady Christine Bodka, and what she, it was a huge cohort study across organizations, she found the one factor that differentiated productivity, productivity by any measure that you wanted, the one factor was compassionate leadership. So compassionate leadership, starting at the heart, is actually good for the bottom line. And we've got this you know, neuroscience to validate that because when you start at the heart, it influences the autonomic nervous system. That influences the, the head and gut. It puts the three brains into an adaptive place, allows them to start communicating. That's when intuitive wisdom opens up. That's when people start making wise decisions. And so I'd like to bring this back now to, to your book, Soul-Centered Leadership. It's a fascinating title. What Thanks. What... What inspired you to to because you say you, you know you just said that you you're not specifically you know um, following a, a you know a particular religion it's not like you you're coming from a particular religious aspect to say oh you know I'm going to to, to talk about this you know, whether it be Catholicism or Ju Judaism or etc but you've picked something soul centered which has deeply spiritual overtones so tell us a little bit about why that and what's important about that yeah and it's it's based on the principles of spiritual psychology and so I'll, I'll just Give you give you my my summary of spiritual psychology because in the masters we learn the same psychoanalysis techniques you would learn in most other uh, psychology programs we learn six I think psychoanalysis techniques NLP Gestalt psychosynthesis rational motive Rogerian but we take the assumption that we're all loving beings that our essence is love and if we have behaviors that aren't loving you know if we're jealous or we're sad which we all get them but, but that's just that's because we have psychological unresolved issues. So we, we use psychology in service to clearing out all the crap, in a, in a way, to just realizing and, and understanding and remembering our, our core loving essence. And our soul is, the way we define it, is our, you know, you talk about heart-centered, soul-centered, like we have to become more loving or become more heart-centered. We have to remember. We have to get rid of all the crap we put in between, between us and our heart. Right. And so, you know, our, our, our essence is loving. And uh, that, to, uh, to me, is like the definition of the soul. And, and you talk about the heart. And to be heart-centered and soul-centered is basically the same thing. 
And it's not that we have to become more heart-centered or more loving. It's that we have that already. We're that already. So you don't have to actually become anything. It, we use psychology to get rid of what is between, uh, what, it, what is holding us back from realizing that. Because when we have that, it's like then we have, we know what we are, this essence of love. Self-esteem, we have that courage, and then we're, we're in touch with our, uh, you know, we're in touch with our creativity, and that's where people really shine from, from such a beautiful place. Beautiful. Yeah, spot on. It's not, absolutely, it's not like we have to get uh, anything. It's that we just have to connect with who we already are at a very deep level at the head, heart, and gut level. We already, we already are filled with love and compassion. We just have to connect with that. Yeah, yeah. And put up through our lives, whether it's childhood trauma or intergenerational patterns that have that that are in the way of that. Um, very successful individuals, almost each and every one, have when I've really gained their, you know, we've, we've really had deep conversations. Say that on some level they believe they're a fraud. Hmm. That their biggest fear is that that they're going to be found out either by their peers or oftentimes their family which is just a huge burden for them to them to, to be carrying around. Yeah, yeah, that we, we've found exactly the same thing. When we speak to very senior executives, most of them say they're feeling very inauthentic and uh, it, it does create a lot of stress and tension because they're put into these positions of great uh, you know, leadership authority, making decisions on a lot of people's lives and yet they're feeling like somewhat of a fraud because they don't feel that same same deep connection uh, within themselves. And when we align, when we use the MBIT techniques, which are you know, such simple, profoundly simple techniques, uh, but not simplistic, that uh, they connect with themselves and they, they reclaim that, you know, the, the, the deep appreciation and self-esteeming for recognizing their own deep intuitive wisdom that has got them to where they are in their success. But now they can feel into that. And from that place, they start flourishing even more. They become, as you, as you put it on your your website, you can be even more successful coming from this place, or as we prefer to say, coming from this way of being. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's it's when I was running, I was running two software companies. You know, I started three at one point, and I was running two. I would work a 10, 12-hour day. I would just be busy all day, and I would get home exhausted and thinking, "Oh my gosh, did I even get anything done today?" I can't. You know, I used to have the same things on my to-do list on, at, at the end of the day as I did on the in the beginning, and I just worked 10 hours. And so actually I started this journal where I would just replay the day and write down all the positive things that I tell to somebody and get a smile back or, or you know, hey, I, I, you know, had a great conversation with a prospect. I helped out an employee. And it was funny, Grant, because at the end, after I would do that, I would have like a list of like 30 or 40 or 50 things. I mean, I had like awesome days, but I just didn't realize that. And it's just a simple exercise. Sometimes people that are down on themselves, I just say, look, just, just go and do this exercise. And then, you know, after three or four days, you have a whole sheet filled up with single space things that you've done great. And, and that's just a really quick exercise that really helped people. Because I think we're just all so powerful and, and do all these awesome things. But sometimes we just lose that and all the, all the, the, the self-judgment and, and, and the, the negativity that we're surrounded by. Yeah, absolutely. And something that leaps out from uh, what you were just saying there for me is that when we're in that uh, go, go, go mode where we're really, you know, got a huge to-do list, you've just been working all day, it's it's quite stressful. It puts you into, from an autonomic nervous system perspective, 
what's called sympathetic dominance, which is the you know the, the stress mode, the fight or flight. It's the accelerator on the car, shall we say? And it's only when you can pause, come back to what's called parasympathetic, which is like the brake on the car. Give yourself that sort of, uh, sort of rest and repose, that, that place of um, calm and connection. And when you come back to that place, this balance between the sympathetic and parasympathetic, that's when, in our, our research shows that that's when these communication channels, which actually the, the multiple brains, head, heart and gut, use the autonomic nervous system, the sympathetic and parasympathetic system, they use that as the communication pipelines between the, the brains, they're sort of the information superhighway between the three brains. But it's also the, the system that's monitoring your environment for energy balance and for safety. And so if you've got it in the go, 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 trying to achieve, trying to achieve, trying to achieve, you look at your list and you still haven't got as, you know, as many things done as you wish and you know tomorrow's going to be all over again, you go to bed, you're exhausted because you've been, you're in adrenaline maxed out sympathetic dominant mode and that's cutting out half your information superhighway of the parasympathetic of how these brains can communicate. But through the exercise you were just saying, where you sit and you pause, you focus on some positive stuff that you've done and you just create that list and you reflect. And in this quiet moment of reflecting, your breathing will shift. You bring your, you know, the, the heart into alignment because you're putting a focus on heart-based appreciation in order to do these positive appreciative you know, tracking. From this place, it brings the autonomic nervous system into what's called coherence or balance, which then opens up your, your intuitions and your you know, connection to your deep gut sense of self. And from that place, you can start to truly appreciate yourself and what you are actually achieving. That opens up compassion and creativity. You start being more successful. In positive psychology terms, it's called broaden and build. It builds emotional and psychological capital. And that lasts longer than just the moments of appreciation. It actually can give you hours and hours, like you know, literally into the next day, you'll get half a day of huge benefit from an autonomic and neurological perspective. And it impacts your immune system, your endocrine, everything. So you literally get the, the neurohormones of success and happiness flowing throughout your mind-body system. It creates a spiral, upward spiral of success. So you know, I can see how you, you're you know, getting executives to focus on these sorts of mindful activities is actually working with them at that autonomic nervous system, opening up the channels to the whole of themselves. So it is, as, as you said, uh, I saw on your website, you were talking about the, the, the notion of authentic happiness. And, and so I think yeah. you know, those practices are exactly that. They, you know, from an ambit perspective, what you're doing is absolutely neuroscientifically spot on. It pragmatically works. Well, that's awesome to hear. And since this is a co-interview, like you said, um, and I really believe in intuition. I, I have exercises people do for intuition because I, I think it, it just really can move us ahead from a research on intuition. Um, uh, yeah, that's, that's my question. Yeah, I, you cut out there just a little bit when you asked that question. So I think I heard the, the final bit on intuition. So I'm, I'm going to reflect back to your question and say, so uh, you're, you're asking, have I come across any research on intuition? And um, yes. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, and in fact, there's a, a robust body of scientific work uh, spanning over a decade on looking at uh, intuition and including uh, looking at executive intuition. And they've found that absolutely... The, the most successful people, whether it's in um, emergency services, so firefighters, etc., uh, in the executive space, uh, those who are most successful uh, actually utilize their intuitions. And equally in medicine, 
etc. So very successful. Medicos rely on their intuition to make decisions. Decisions that are, are not utilising intuitions often not as successful. So intuition appears to um, be separable into three forms of intuition. Uh, head-based intuitions, which are coming from the prime functions of the head, which you know the, the non-dominant hemisphere, etc., bleeding through to consciousness. The heart-based intuitions around the prime functions of the heart. Those, you know, your your connection intuitions about information about your connection with others and and about what's important, what's true for you. And gut-based intuitions around boundary monitoring, threat detection, you know, um, safety and uh, things like that, the ability to take action or not take action, and intuitions about whether you should or shouldn't take action. And so the, the research is actually validating this head-heart-gut model quite strongly. And, and we, with a colleague, uh, Associate Professor Suzanne Henwood at one of the universities in New Zealand, we've been doing some work on looking at uh, intuitive decision-making and uh, coming up with a psychometric instrument to look at uh, people's preferences in in their head, heart, gut preferences in making decisions and how they surface those intuitions. So some really interesting you know, research to come out and definitely intuition is, as, as a lot of the, uh, the, the people who have been looking at intuition, uh, both from an esoteric and spiritual perspective and this very pragmatic scientific perspective, they talk about it as a, a, a feeling of knowing and as a small, quiet voice within. So it, it's, it gets translated into conscious awareness as a, a very small, quiet voice that gives you, a, you know, talks about the feeling of knowing. And these feelings of knowing are, are embodied. They're, they're coming out of these neural networks of heart, gut, and what Professor, Professor Stephen Porges um, of polyvagal theory, which is the vagus nerve, the, the autonomic nervous system, calls our neuroception, or our sixth sense, which he says is it comes out of you know, our autonomic nervous system's ability to, to pick up incredible levels of information from the internal and external environment and feed that up to your head brain where it gets up into your frontal lobes as conscious awareness. So, yeah, absolutely. MBIT trains people in how to tap into intuitions and and it is about, you know, it, what you're saying, soul-centered leadership. When you, when you come down into the heart and let the heart lead, when you come into autonomic balance, to come from that place not of stress and not of depression but of calm balance and you connect up all three brains, you, your deep intuitions come alive and the, and the neuroscience validates this. Yeah, yeah, and of course the, 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 the two things that you have to, to address are you have to, to be able to differentiate between ego-based voice and a authentic, the intuition um, and then you, then you have to trust it. Yes. You have to trust it. Yes, and that trust is vital because if you if you don't trust it, you're literally shutting down those neural connections. Trust is an important part of opening up those channels and um, and, and and building on them because neurons that, that fire together wire together. There's neural plasticity in these systems. So if you if you if your heart's been trying to tell you something for years and you've been ignoring it then you're actually causing those neurons not to fire together. They don't wire together. Neurons that are out of sync unlink. So you literally decrease the number of neurons in the pathways and within the heart-brain itself. You know, there's, there's, I've come across studies that showed that as you know, young children have like 120,000 to 150,000 neurons in their heart-brain, but by the time you get to the age of 70, uh, the majority of adults only have about 30,000 neurons. So they've down-regulated their heart-brain literally harden their hearts. But not all 70-year-olds have 
only a small number of neurons in their heart brain. They found some um, heart brains in 70-year-olds uh, that still had 120,000 neurons in their heart, and these are the sorts of people we would call them young at heart, you know, very you know, open-hearted. And so it's very much the case that you have to keep that trust, you have to keep using. But the beautiful thing, of course, is that neuroplasticity means you can, at any point in time, start regrowing those new neuronal connections. So it's all about focused attention, and it's about the sorts of things that you know you talk about in your work and that you get executives start focusing on is that when people start opening up to this, they, they, those neurons will start to reconnect and regrow and, and build new synapses. So in, in the garden of the heart, the flowers of compassion and connection grow. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah, because the, 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 um, it's funny because so many people come to me with like exterior, exterior problems and, and you know what to me we really just work at soul-centered leadership is just coming to a more compassionate, loving, because I'm sure you know the, the, what a projection is. It's the relationship with ourselves mirrors every other relationship out there. Yeah. So we just really, it's awesome because you just, we just really work on coming into that acceptance and realizing our self-worth and, um, and realizing that. And so and in the spiritual psychology course, our, the, the, the cornerstone skill, we didn't even learn it until a year through the, the, a year through the course, and we've worked on it the whole second year, is self-forgiveness. Mm -hmm. um, because when we can really forgive ourselves and come into true acceptance of ourselves, that uh, then our whole life changes. Then it's like it's 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 um, that to me that's that's the real transformational piece. Yeah, yeah, and which is part of the pragmatics of self-compassion, of course. And it can be argued that all forgiveness is self-forgiveness. When you forgive someone else, you, you you're truly forgiving them for yourself because you know they may not even know you've forgiven them. You might not even be in you know, in um, ongoing relationship with them, and yet you need to forgive them. So you don't carry it, um, because the only person who's getting damaged by the anger or the, the you know bitterness or the uh, regret or whatever it is is you. So uh, it, it it you know it starts with self-compassion and a focus deep within yourself first. Though there's some interesting work by uh, Dr. Kristen Neff on uh, compassion and self-compassion. She's found that people with low self-esteem struggle to do self-compassion. They find it much easier to do compassion for others first. And so sometimes for some people you need to, you know, start them on the outer focus in order to help them build the sort of muscles um, so then they can start to focus on the inner work. And uh, that's when they'll get the, the real shift, when they'll get the real benefits, when they bring it back to, to inner work. Because as you so you know, perspicaciously point out, all, all outer work truly is inner work. You know, it, it's, it's, uh, the rest is just yes. projection. And vice versa. Mm, exactly. And, and vice versa. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, Michael, I'm yeah. aware that, you know, uh, we're, we're getting close to time. And so one of the things I really wanted to ask you, which is if, uh, any of the listeners want to get to know more of your work, want to get a, you know, find out about your book, get in touch with you, etc. What's the what's the best place? What's the website they should go to, or where should they look? Uh, Soul-centered-leadership.com. Soul-centered-leadership.com is is the easy one to go to, and you know the books out there. We do have a community because I just think that it's tough being a leader. I mean, it is tough being a leader almost by definition because as a leader, you know. As a person, we have like so a certain number of responsibilities and a certain tasks, and then when we start a business or we get promoted, 
all of a sudden we have different tasks and, and more responsibility and, and leadership is tough. So I think by forming a community um, and learning skills like whether it's me or Grant, you teach, I think is just, is just um, necessary. And Grant, we were chatting earlier and I, I just, I think we have the same mission and purpose. My purpose is to, to raise the consciousness of the world by elevating leaders. I believe that's exactly in line with what you're doing. So um, I just encourage everybody out there just to just to to make that the more higher elevated decision every day, and 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 the world will just be much, a much more beautiful place. Oh, beautifully put, Michael. Beautifully put. From the MBIT perspective, we suggest that, and uh, you know, it starts with ourselves, of course. Uh, we say that with every decision you make, from the minute you get out of bed to you know when you lay your your head back down on the pillow later that night. If every time you go to make a decision, you ask yourself what was the most compassionate, creative and courageous me that I could be and do right now in making this decision. You came from that sequence of saying what's the most compassionate, creative and courageous decision. What's the most compassionate, creative and courageous way of being that you know I, I could do right now. And then what will emerge will be wiser decisions, um, more authentic, authenticity and you'll come from that place of what we call the, you know, the human spirit coming alive or what you're calling soul-centered leadership. You'll come from a place where there's a deeper purpose, whether you want to think about that in a spiritual sense or a secular sense of achieving something that is much more systemically ecological for all of humanity. And, uh, and we, all, we all have families and children and uh, you know, people who will go on after us. So I truly think that we want our success not just to be our own immediate success, but success ongoingly for generations to come. Beautiful, beautiful. So thank you very much. I really appreciate your time today. It's, uh, it's been great connecting with you and uh, letting you know, our audience know about your work and uh, this, the, the notion of you know, connecting at the heart of compassion and of, of coming from some place, whether you want to call it soul or you want to call it just you know, bring the human alive regardless. But that, that sense, of, like you said, spiritual psychology, that I think there's a deep alignment between what you're doing and the, the, you know, the notion of head, heart and gut in alignment and producing wisdom. So I encourage everybody to jump across to your website, check out your book. Uh, I know that you've got some blogs and things that you do, so there's plenty of access to your work on your website, and I highly encourage everyone to go jump on and connect with uh, Michael. He's doing some amazing stuff. Thanks so much, Graham. I'm really honored, and, and uh, it's been fun learning and talking to you. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it.